カハンニャハラミタシンギョー Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. Today is the 74th day of our Commit to Sit practice. 74 days of our Ongo. Studying these foundational texts of Dogen, and for me, they feel very alive, very contemporary. If we just slow down and just experience what he's describing and trying to help us to actually experience our own experience. Some people think of him as philosophical or intellectual, but he's actually not. Or we could also say he's also not. He says in Bendoa, reflect. That the teaching of the oneness of body and mind is always being expounded by the Buddha Dharma. Always. That sound. Brum, brum. And yet, many of us practice because、oh, we don't always feel that oneness. Maybe some of you are like me and not, are not always feeling that oneness. Maybe Bonnie Rose Marcus is. Yesterday, I had <laughs> kind of a, a little meltdown. I just felt this collapse in myself. Suddenly, like all the little tiny things I needed to do felt like they just like were termites that ate the floor out. And I fell through the floor. Was not feeling the oneness of body and mind in that moment. Really needed Choto's support, she offered. 
to collect again. Often when I feel that way, really just when I need to just go to bed. <laughs> I was just tired, really tired. And I find that in those moments, it's not a great time to make any kind of assumptions or great thoughts about how life is going. Because I felt like in that moment, my mind was like a bunch of termites. <laughs> Eating away. At this idea of a self. It is said that once you can actually see the termites, it's too late. They're usually like too infested. Hence falling through the floor. Too late. And the beauty of this practice is like that we can have that moment which can last an hour, a minute, and then we can begin again. I felt so grateful for continuous practice over the many years, or it doesn't even matter how long, actually, that I could imagine coming back to that receptive ground. Just knew I needed to sleep, eat some popcorn, some cucumbers that Cheddar got me, like my favorite thing. It's just how it is. What do you do when you feel? like your fall, that you've fallen, that you're trapped in a thought. It was so interesting because I felt like there were so many different aspects of that moment where there were moments of like real righteousness was in there and some blamey feelings were in there. Some Angry feelings were in there, some sad, alone feelings were in there. It was like a little house of horrors. <laughs> so like each of those little termites were like a different horror in my mind. It just made me so appreciate, as I was saying, that, you know, steady practice that we can return to. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have those moments. And it just made me feel compassion for, you know, how we can get caught in thinking we're right and blaming 
how we're never going to get out of this. Why aren't X people doing Y? Why isn't my life X, Y, and Z instead of PDQ? So insane. And what's so incredible about this tradition is that, you know, the Buddha and our 88 generations before us really mapped out all of this very clearly. These are the things that you're going to encounter. Great difficulty. Great struggle. The clashes themselves of greed, delusion, and resentment are so real. And we just, how we work with them in the practice is everything. So when we think about it, Dogen saying, reflect that the teaching of the oneness of body and mind is always being expounded. It's always available. And sometimes we just can't see it. But can you sense it? Can you come back to your breath? Can you find the steadiness in your practice even when you don't want to? Or you don't feel like it? Can you show up even when you're not feeling well in your body or your mind? I feel like that's what Chodo did. He was also not feeling so great, but was able to show up. And there was one point where we just were able to sit on the couch together. Sometimes it's not so fancy. Dogen says, to think that birth and death must be rejected is the mistake of ignoring the Buddha Dharma. Like if you think like, oh, nothing matters. Or blaming what does matter. Actually, anything that you rejected. So really consider what in your life you're actually rejecting. Mostly, we, in my experience, we, re we reject what's actually often helpful. And Dogen gives us some words about what to do there. Refrain from that. 
when you're rejecting the medicine, refrain from doing that. And to me, like that's such an amazing capacity. Like we feel ourselves just sliding down into that old familiar space of termites. He says, all things and all phenomena are just one mind. Nothing is excluded or unrelated. In even when you feel like shit, even when you feel like the world is terrible, or it's really good even, Whatever you're dividing up, the world's great, people are great, people are terrible, the world's terrible. That group, this group. Whenever we're doing that, we're moving away from it. You ever do that? To me, the reflection, how do you work with certainty of your own impermanence? When I was in that falling moment, I was like, certain. I felt so sad, so angry, so everything. Where's that now? Ever had that experience where you're like deep in like a whole state of feelings and then suddenly something shifts and it's like, oh, that's impermanence. This is one of Chodo's reflections, such a beautiful reflection. How do you work with the certainty of your own impermanence? So sure about how shitty it is. So sure about anything is missing. Missing the point. In one of Dogen's other writings, he carries on this theme in his piece in the Shobogenzo, Ika Nyoju. I'm not pronouncing it correctly. I will learn. And he says, the great master lived during the Song Dynasty before he became a monk. He was found on, fond of fishing. 
and took his boat to the Nalandi River, where he learned fishing from various people. Surely, however, he did not expect to catch a golden fish of enlightenment, which of course catches itself. Can't chase after it, in case you thought you could. When he was 35 years of age, he recognized the preeminence of the Buddha way. He woke up and was like, let's try that. And suddenly decided to renounce this transient world. He left his boat and retired to the mountains. Finally setting on Mount Seppa, where he became a disciple of the great master Seppa. He decided, it's kind of like this really important moment, I think, is where we decide to follow the way. Instead of trying it out. Like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to study this. It's a rare quality these days. Gensha practiced the way day and night. One day he decided to visit some other masters so he could further perfect his practice. And just as he was leaving the mountain, he stubbed his toe on a rock. Ouch. Began to bleed a lot and it was very painful. But then unexpectedly, he had a sudden realization. This body doesn't exist, he cried. Where is my pain coming from? After that, he said this, he immediately returned to his teacher, Seppo. Seppo asked him, did you go on pilgrimage just to cut your foot and have a bad time? Kensha said, please don't kid with me. Don't tease me. Seppo was greatly pleased with that answer and told him, what you just said should be spoken by everyone, but they lack your sincerity. Why don't you continue to visit other masters? Gensha replied, Bodhidharma didn't come from China. The second patriarch didn't go to India. Seppo liked his answer. What's that all about? To me, it's what's the story, I've always enjoyed that story because Gensha was this person in a life and then put his like earnest resolve. I was like, enough. And with great determination.
So you don't have to be practicing a very long time or a very short time to have that. Gencho was very clear and open to receiving teachings. In a way, he was about to kind of do what many of us do, which is kind of wander around and then use the hurt that he was experienced to actually experience something new about impermanence, about oneness. I don't know about you, but mostly in my life, I use hurt and just kind of like run away or just feel bad. But to me, there's this courageous moment where Genja gets hurt and like gets closer instead of further away. After attaining the way, Genja, he used this saying to explain all of the Buddha's teachings. The entire universe is one bright pearl. So beautiful. So amazing, like after such a painful experience, that's what he experienced. The whole universe is one. Once a monk asked him, I've heard you teach that the entire universe is one bright pearl. How should I interpret that? Kenta replied, well, the entire universe is one bright pearl. What is there to interpret or understand? Can you be with life as it is? <clears throat> when the termites eat your house and you fall down. Isn't that part of the one bright part? The next day, Gensha said to the monk, the entire universe is one bright, bright pearl. How do you understand that today? Testing the monk. The monk replied, the entire universe is one bright pearl. What is there to understand, Gensha? You now know, said Gensha, that even in the Black Mountain Cave of Demons, complete freedom is also working. Even in the depth of our crappy demonic mind, which we all have at least a little pocket of that. that complete freedom is also working right there. 
love that. So part of the one bright pearl is that we leave nothing out. Our depression, our struggle, our darkness, our fall, the roaring of trucks is all part of this one bright pearl. And that complete freedom is working if we can meet those aspects with compassion, love, and vigor.